we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian. I'm executive director of the Center. And this episode is about what's likely to be addressed, what immigration issues in the lame duck session of Congress. For those of you who don't live and breathe this stuff, what that means is the session of Congress that's after the election, but before the beginning of the next Congress at the beginning of January. So it includes all kinds of people who have lost re-election or are retiring and does not include the new congressmen who are coming in. So it's called a lame duck session. And it often is an opportunity for various kinds of mischief where people who are no longer going to be accountable to the voters can vote on things that people don't like. And one example of that, of course, is immigration issues, amnesties and increases in immigration. And the two issues we're going to be talking about with George Fishman and Jessica Vaughn of the center are the DACA slash Dreamer issue, in other words, amnesty for illegal immigrants who claim to have come as children. And the other one is something called the Eagle Act, which is related to high-tech immigrants. In each of those issues, we have a general discussion, but in the past few days, since the podcast was pre-recorded, there have been a couple of developments. On the Dreamer issue, Republican North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis and Democrat Kristen Sinema from Arizona have put out a bunch of bullet points on a possible agreement that they've made to amnesty up to 2 million or more people who either have DACA or would qualify for it in exchange for some kind of commitments on the border, extending Title 42 for another year. Personally, it doesn't seem like it's much of a compromise since the administration is supposed to be enforcing the border anyway. Why would they hold that hostage to an amnesty? But that seems to be the deal. It's not clear anything's going to happen, but it has gotten attention. And on the other issue, this Eagle Act, which we will discuss directly in some more detail, it was supposed to be up for a vote this week. It may have been voted on by the time you hear this in the House, but the vote has been postponed a couple of times. So This is a serious thing. There actually is some potential movement on this. We've written about both of these issues, both the Eagle Act and the DACA slash Dreamer issue, and some links will be in the show notes. So now we'll proceed to the pre-recorded discussion where we go into some detail about what are the various elements of these two major things that Congress is likely to deal with on immigration in this lame duck session. I'm going to start by throwing it to Jessica, and one of the issues that hasn't actually gotten that much attention, because there has been some journalistic attention devoted to this, the one that hasn't gotten that much is something called the Eagle Act. 
which is something that the tech companies want. And Jessica, if you could just give us the like elevator pitch version of what that bill is and what do you think is up with it? That's right. It's It's been called the Eagle Act. I think a more appropriate name might be the Buzzard Act or something like that, because this is an <laughs> ugly piece of legislation. And it's the classic kind of special interest backdoor deal on immigration that really undermines a lot of the principles behind our legal immigration system and also rewards some of the worst actors in our legal immigration system, namely the tech companies that have taken advantage of the non-immigrant visa programs to replace American workers, quite literally. And what this bill would do, it's been sponsored by Zoe Lofgren, who represents Silicon Valley and is the chair of the Immigration Subcommittee and has been involved in this issue for a long time. What they want to do is find a way to legalize hundreds of thousands of citizens of India who came on non-immigrant visas, mostly H-1B, and were used to replace U.S. tech workers mostly, although it affects other jobs as well. And they are not able to quickly obtain a green card because of a feature in our legal immigration system that says that only a certain number of people from any one country can get green cards in any year. It's called the per country cap, and it was meant to ensure that we have some diversity in our legal immigration flow and that one country is not able to monopolize all of the visas that are available in any particular limited category. So what this bill would do would be to eliminate the per country cap, and it would basically negate the numerical limits that we have in the employment-based categories, which right now are capped at around 140000 a year. That can change based on some other quirks in the way the numbers are allocated. But it would allow anybody who's here who has an approved petition for a green card to basically just adjust to green card status if they've been waiting for two years or more. So just to be clear, Jessica, they're not illegal. In other words, they're legally here. So legalize probably isn't the right word for it. What they are is they're in a queue, in a wait list. And some of them have been in wait list for many years because their number hasn't come up. And this would basically just, if you've been in the wait list for two years, you're home free. It sort of flushes right. the you line. You get a green card. Yes. Right. It allows people to essentially jump in line. So, George, why is this important to the tech companies? Well, first, let me just quote Steve Miller. And no, no, not that Steve Miller. I'm talking about the other Steve Miller who once said, I want to fly like an eagle to the sea, fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I knew you had to get a music reference in there. Okay, so how is that connected? <laughs> do, 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 do. Exactly as Jessica said, this is a way to negate the numerical limits on employment-based green cards. If someone can come to the U.S., can work, can stay here legally for how many years or even decades it takes to have a green card become available, that, in essence, negates any numerical limits unemployment-based green cards, and it would mean hundreds and hundreds of additional thousands of workers who would otherwise have to return home to their home countries would instead still be working here, 
be available for the big tech companies and be available to compete against U.S. workers. So, Jessica, what I mean, George alluded to it, but what's the point to these numerical limits in the first place? Why do we have numerical caps in these categories? Well, we have broad numerical caps in order to have limits on immigration so that our labor markets are not skewed or distorted by immigration. And so employers don't have the option of replacing U.S. workers with workers from abroad who will work for less. And in this particular category, that's exactly what in the tech industry, especially, they will work for less for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because they think that there's a green card at the end of the rainbow. But the problem is, is that Congress has been issuing more temporary visas than there will be green cards available for. So these categories are oversubscribed. And I think it's important to understand that these workers came in on a temporary visa, but they don't actually have to go home if their employer sponsors them for a green card. Under other provisions Congress has passed, they get to wait it out. But, you know, there are some other issues that come up, like some of them have kids who have who have lived here and grown up here and age out at the age of 21. Those things could be fixed with a narrow tweak. But what Zoe Lofgren and some other Democrats want to do is actually use this as a vehicle to just do away with the limits, overall numerical limits on employment-based green cards, which would really be harmful to U.S. workers in a lot of particular occupations, especially those working in tech and information systems and, and related occupations. Well, especially with all the layoffs going on now in these very industries by these very same big tech companies. Right, right. The ones who always claim they need more workers. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to me because of these layoffs, it makes the whole political argument just a whole lot more difficult to make. Even Democratic congressmen who have already, you know, either won re-election or are, you know, retiring or lost or something, some of them even, it seems to me, are going to be dubious about having their name attached to something about this when, you know, Twitter just fired whatever, 90% of its staff and all the other companies are also laying off. Well, if you're Zoe Lofgren and you, and you represent uh, Silicon Valley, uh, <laughs> right. I guess those, those concerns don't really matter. I guess so. But I mean, she's the head of the immigration subcommittee for another few weeks, but they need to get 218 votes for this if it even gets to that point. And so we'll see. This kind of measure, I think, has come up a number of times over and over again, if not specifically this legislation, the concept of getting rid of these per country caps. And the interesting thing, and I want to move to the next subject in a second, but the interesting thing is this is really just the latest attempt by tech companies to bust through the numerical caps. Jessica referred to uh, the so-called temporary H-1B visas that now instead of expiring at six years, you can keep renewing it over and over again forever. They pressured it was the Bush administration, I think, that created this something called optional practical training, which is basically part of the pipeline for these tech workers. So this is really, in context, it's really just part of this broader, relentless campaign by tech companies to create de facto unlimited immigration for tech workers. Right. And indentured workers at that. I mean, if our system right. were working the way it's supposed to, they come in on temporary visas. 
And if our economy reaches a situation like we have now, where the companies that sponsored them have to shed those jobs, well, then it seems obvious, I think, to most people that the temporary workers should go home. We should not be be creating a special... Right. You know, we should not be wrecking the rest of our immigration system to accommodate workers who are no longer employed and should be heading home. And that is a broader problem with the very idea of these wait lists in both family and employment based immigration. It seems to me that it would just make a lot more sense that if your number comes up in a given year when somebody filed a petition for you or you petition for yourself, that then you get your green card. And if your number doesn't come up, then your application disappears, turns into a pumpkin, and you got to start all over again instead of having these ludicrous multi-million person wait lists, both in family and employment-based categories. That's exactly right. And that's what uh, the RAISE Act of a few years ago would have done. Which is probably going to come up again next year. But we're talking about uh, this month's shenanigans in the House. And the next thing I wanted to touch on, George, is the push to amnesty DACAs or DREAMers or however broadly this is defined, but the basic point being illegal immigrants who came here at some point at a young age, they keep moving the cutoff age higher and higher. But there is going to be a last minute push. And if you could explain maybe a little bit about why that is, because there's a lawsuit that may invalidate DACA pretty soon. So what's the motivation here, uh, the immediate one, as well as sort of the broader argument for this? Well, sure. Almost every lame duck session at the end of a Congress when there is one, DREAM Act legislation, DACA legislation comes up. It's sort of the evergreen lame duck immigration legislation. And I think to a large extent, it's done for show. There's no expectation it's actually going to get enacted into law, but it's done to satisfy the advocates. The importance now is that there's a very real possibility that the underlying DACA status, which was created not through Congress, not through statute, but by the Obama administration, after President Obama said, I can't do this, I'm not king, Congress has to do it, he then decided, oh, I guess I am king, and did it, is that the Fifth Circuit has ruled that DACA is not supported by statute. It's in violation of statute. And if that ruling ultimately holds, if the Supreme Court ultimately accepts it, then all the former illegal aliens who now have this created DACA status, they will become illegal aliens again. And so suddenly it's not necessarily just something for show. It's something that if DACA is ruled illegal, Congress actually does have to pass something. And so it becomes much more real. I think some of the biggest issues with it are It's constantly framed as these are aliens who were brought to the U.S. as children. They had no choice in the matter. They are upstanding members of society. They have not committed crimes. They've lived all their lives here. They're valedictorians. They're doctors. They're nurses, etc. I recently looked at this issue, and amazingly, the majority of juvenile criminals are processed not through adult criminal courts. They're processed mostly through state juvenile justice systems. And even if an alien is adjudicated delinquent, i.e. convicted, in these juvenile court systems of very serious crimes, up to and including murder and rape and aggravated assault and arson and all sorts of things like this, 
that doesn't disqualify them from DACA. Because it doesn't count as a criminal conviction, right? Exactly. If, if they were convicted of these crimes in adult court, they would be subject to mandatory deportation. They would be ineligible for DACA. But because right. they were convicted in juvenile court, not only are they not subject to mandatory deportation, they're not ineligible for DACA. And so I think one prerequisite to ever even considering DREAM Act legislation is that any alien who was a minor was convicted of a serious crime in juvenile court should be ineligible. In addition, even if you accept the premise that these aliens were not at fault because their parents brought them here, they had no choice in the matter, under the DREAM Act, as soon as they get legalized and become citizens and become adult, they can sponsor the parents, the very same ones who paid to smuggle them into the U.S., who were the ones responsible for bringing them here, they can sponsor those parents for green cards themselves. So it actually rewards those who, who actually, by all accounts, are the wrongdoers, those who paid for or carried out the illegal activity. And so I think those are two of the biggest concerns, regardless of anyone's view about whether someone who was brought here as a minor without any volition of their own illegally, regardless of how that might be sympathetic, with these issues not resolved, you know, any Dream Act legislation would, would really be a travesty. And I think the third thing is any legislation would have to ensure that nothing like this ever happens again. There will never be a population of hundreds of thousands or millions of aliens brought here illegally as minors. And until we fix our broken immigration enforcement system and ensure that this will never happen again, it's just going to encourage more illegal immigration on the realization, oh, well, let's get our kids in here illegally, wait a few years, there surely will be another DREAM Act, and they'll get legalized. So unless we can do things like asylum reform and mandatory E-Verify to fix our broken enforcement system, any DREAM Act will just encourage further illegal immigration in the future. And that's a good point, George. You know, I can't think of a worse possible time to have an amnesty like that for kids when we are having tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors crossing the border. And, you know, one of the motivations surely is that they expect that there will be an amnesty at some point to cover illegal aliens who arrived as minors. That's a big incentive. Yeah, and that's really the broader context that all of this is taking a place in, is the border is a disaster. And I think that even squishy Republicans, and frankly, maybe even some of the Democrats, understand how problematic it will be to attach their name to something that otherwise sounds you know, sympathetic, you're being nice to these people who supposedly were brought here as children. But like you said, in the context of not just an unprecedented border crisis, but an accelerating one, because December 21st is when Title 42 will end, which is the only kind of half measure that's preventing the border from completely melting down, although it's pretty melted down already. It just doesn't seem to me that there's going to be much appetite for this. I think it's going to be more like what George talked about, which is they're going through the motions to keep their 
own constituency groups happy to show that they're trying to do something without actually doing anything. Mark, I think you're exactly right. In fact, some former Republican supporters and advocates of this sort of legislation, such as Senator Marco Rubio, have said it would be crazy to do it right now, given the meltdown at the border. So I think that is exactly right. If I could just make one quick point on DACA is that, as George mentioned, that the parents of any DACA recipients would most certainly be in line for being sponsored for getting green cards um, when those DACA recipients naturalize. And in some of the versions of the DREAM Act or DACA Amnesty have them on an accelerated naturalization track. But we have to remember that if, say, 700,000 people with DACA were to benefit from an amnesty and, and get legal status, then under our current legal immigration system, when they can sponsor their parents after naturalizing, that's going to at least ultimately double the size of the amnesty under the multiplier effect of every amnesty. And there's some good, reliable academic research that shows that the chain migration effect of any amnesty is going to more than double the number of people who end up benefiting from it. And that's because under our legal system, parents come in in unlimited numbers. They're one of the largest categories of chain migration. So we should think about reforming that too if we are to agree on an amnesty for people with DACA. And there have been proposals. I mean, the Trump administration got behind a bill in 2018 when I think you were still on the Hill, if I'm not mistaken, George, which would have amnestied not just DACA recipients, but defined that population pretty broadly, would have been a couple million people or more, but did have in it a lot of these measures trying to limit illegal immigration, plug holes in the asylum system and what have you. And if I remember correctly, not a single Democrat in the House of Representatives voted for them. You're exactly right. That was Bob Goodlatte's legislation, which would have not given permanent residence to DACA recipients, but in exchange for the sort of enforcement mechanisms that I was talking about, mandatory E-Verify and asylum reform, would have given them extendable temporary legal status. And I was on Mr. Goodlatte's staff at the time, and we made sure those who were convicted of serious juvenile offenses were ineligible. We made sure that they could not sponsor their parents. So yeah, unfortunately, as you said, zero Democrats uh, voted for that legislation. And unfortunately, under pressure from the big ag lobby, enough Republicans voted against that legislation that it narrowly was defeated in the House. It'll be interesting to see if the potential demise of DACA through a court order does anything to change the attitudes or expectations of the people who've been trying to push this thing through if they alter their expectations a little bit to make a deal possible. In other words, uh, greater willingness to compromise, basically, on the part of the pro-DACA people. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing that's always struck me, is that none of these people pushing different versions of the DREAM Act over the years, and it was introduced, I think, at this point, 20 years ago, 22 years ago originally, they've never been willing to even talk about say, moving the top age down so that you qualify if you came here before age 7 or age 10. Instead, they go the other way. So I don't know, I think it's now 21 or something. 
or these enforcement measures or, you know, barring parents from benefiting. Those are all, they're just basically, they're non-starters. And what that means is nothing happens, which to me suggests the whole point here is just to use the dreamers as a kind of poster children for amnestying everybody. And Senator Schumer said something like that just a few weeks ago at a press conference that, you know, that he was going to push for amnestying the dreamers and all the other illegal immigrants that are in the country. So he sort of said the quiet part out loud. So let's move to the third topic, which is the possibility of a farm worker bill. Who wants to take that one? Mark, I'll just start because I I recently wrote about the subject. Senator Charles Schumer from New York, who was the Senate Majority Leader back about 35 or so years ago, was a young member of the House of Representatives, and he was the primary author of the Farm Worker Amnesty, which was enacted into law in 1986, and which was, by all accounts, the most fraud-ridden immigration program ever put forth in the United States. And so my worry is, with that sort of investment of the Senate Majority Leader, that there's somewhat more possibility of another farm worker amnesty actually getting enacted in the lame duck. And I would put quotes around the term farm worker because, at least from when it happened in 1986, there was such a huge amount of fraud that the closest many of the recipients came to seeing a farm was watching Green Acres on TV. <laughs> they were making claims like, oh, yeah, yeah, I climbed a ladder to pick strawberries off a strawberry tree. And, you know, they were all pretty much 90, 95% getting approved. And despite Senator Schumer's assurances at the time that this would end illegal immigration driven by the needs for agricultural labor, the U.S. Commission on Agricultural Workers later determined that the farm worker amnesty in 86, in fact, drove an increased illegal immigration in the future. And as Mark, as you've pointed out, an ironic other consequence of that was that as soon as these supposed illegal alien farm workers received permanent residence, a huge percentage of them left the farms for easier jobs in the cities. And therefore, what happened? There was a demand for an entire new cohort of illegal aliens to come to the U.S. to work in the farms because the previous illegal alien farm workers all went off to work at day labor sites or at 7-Eleven or whatever. So it really is a sordid history. And I'm just concerned that it actually has somewhat more legs in the lame duck than uh, Dreamer or DACA legislation does. I hope those legs end up turning out to be lame, but uh, we will have to see. (laughs) So, Jessica, I mean, don't we need farm workers? Aren't the crops rotting in the fields? Won't we all go hungry if we don't import these people? What's what's the argument against giving not just amnesty to farm workers, but setting up a system to keep importing more of them? Because as George said, once the ones who are working illegally get legal status, they're all just going to leave and go work construction or something. Well, I think the most compelling arguments against it, besides the ones that have already been mentioned, are that, first of all, allowing these employers to have an endless stream of labor cheaper than it should be really stifles any incentive that they should have or any natural tendency to innovation 
to find ways to get those crops in and out of the fields without cheap labor through mechanizing or other technology that farmers and ag corporations and other countries that don't have an endless supply of cheap labor are able to do, whether it's milking machines on dairy farms or other ways to mechanize harvesting or planting of crops. The answer is not always just more workers will get more productivity if we can shift toward more mechanization. And the other thing people need to remember is that only a very small share of the illegal population is actually employed in agriculture. And just like with other sectors of the labor market, if you know a small increase in the pay of workers would make a big difference for those workers and would hardly be felt by consumers in the grocery stores at all. And so, you know, that's important to remember. We also have a legal farm worker guest worker program that has been right. used the more H2A and more. Program. Right. And there's lots of problems in it. It's really susceptible to forced labor trafficking and could be run better than it is. But it's not like illegal workers are the only choice for ag employers in America. Yeah, I mean, to the first point you made about the, you know, increased mechanization and labor-saving technology, I remember several Thanksgivings ago, the United Farm Workers had this whole series of tweets showing farm workers picking food that, you know, you're going to eat then on Thanksgiving. You know, it was like the week before Thanksgiving. And one thing that really struck me, there was a woman, I forget what it was, but it was something she was pulling out by hand. And literally kneeling in the dirt, pulling out was radishes, I think. Soil, Mark. Soil. Dirt is in your vacuum cleaner. Soil. Dirt is in your vacuum cleaner. (laughs) But the point is, it was, she was sitting there, you know, kneeling on the ground, pulling these things out very adeptly, you know, quickly and adeptly, and then rubber banding them and moving on to the next one. The point was, we were supposed to admire this woman's ability, and clearly, the woman's a hard-working person, but... Why would we want a modern society to feed itself through what amount really to medieval labor practices? The whole thing strikes me as appalling. So maybe the last thing I want to talk about is not a specific immigration issue, and this is something maybe George can address, is why do we even have lame duck sessions? It seems to me this is a natural opportunity for mischief because, you know, the people spoke. And the Republicans didn't get everything they were hoping for, but they do have the majority in the House. So why on earth would we be even having a lame duck session when basically the voters have said they want the Republicans to be in the majority of the House? Mark, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was a congressional staff member for many years, and every time there was a lame duck session, I was always filled with dread. What mischief is going to get enacted in the lame duck session. You know, members who are retiring, who were defeated, there's really nothing holding their feet to their fire to vote in the interest of their constituents. They can do whatever they want. They're they're leaving anyway. So I was always petrified during lame duck sessions. I think the problem used to be even worse than it is now because for many years, the elections in November, the new Congress wasn't seated until the next spring, the next March. Or even later, I think. Yeah, that's a long time ago, yeah. right? I mean, that's like in the 30s or before that, 20s yeah. or something like but, that. But right? I, I, I totally agree. You know, maybe there should be an automatic continuing resolution or something like that 
it's really an invitation for abuse. Any decision should be left to the beginning of January when the people actually elected by the American public should make the decisions and not people who have no accountability to anyone because they're leaving. Any last thoughts, Jessica, on that or anything else? No, we'll just have to hope that they get so tangled up and overreach so much on the immigration provisions that they just cannot manage to pass any of these bad ideas that they're considering. And then we'll start again in January. The funding issues are always there also. It'll be interesting to see if they end up passing a continuing resolution or funding for the year. You know, because there's a lot that Republicans can do with the spending bills in January if they save their efforts for then when they're in the majority in the House. Right, right. Assuming the Congress this month doesn't pass a spending bill for the whole rest of the fiscal year. Right. So that the new Congress wouldn't really be able to deal with it until October of next year, which seems to me a big mistake. But Right. That's what the Democrats want, but the Republicans shouldn't want that. Right, right. We're going to leave it at that. We're going to find out whether any of these measures or maybe things that we didn't even notice end up making it through. I've spoken to some people who work on the Hill and they're kind of cautiously optimistic that none of this stuff is actually going to make it across the finish line, but there's no guarantee of that. So if something does happen and one of these things gets through, the consequences of it will be significant and we'll we'll talk about them next year. Thank you, George. Thank you, Jessica. And we'll have you back on uh, other issues in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center, and your host, wishing you uh, goodbye and hoping that you will tune in again next week. Mm -hmm.